There was a man that uh, was was living in a village, and in the in the he was he was uh, native to the to the people there, and he knew everybody that was there. But he went off and got some schooling, and made some friends, and learned some skills, and that kind of thing. And as he got around other parts of the world and seeing other cultures and other people and everything, he realized they were living a different quality of life than he and his village had been used to. Being in his 20s, he um, was used to thinking that half his life had been spent already because of the, the um, life expectancy of the people in their village was somewhere around 50 years old or so. And so uh, as he got around other people, he saw people going to school that were going later in life because they wanted to start a new career. And he's thinking, this should be the end of your life. Why are you, um, you know, having a reboot going on here and stuff? And so as he got exposed to that idea, he was thinking, well, I wonder what's wrong with our culture that our life expectancy rate is so low. And so as he went back to live amongst his people and he started looking at the situation um, with some of the skills that he had learned while away, he started to determine um, that it was, a, it was a health problem, and it was a health problem probably related to the way that they were taking in their water as so many villages and, and tribes and cultures around the world struggle with clean water and that kind of thing. And so he started thinking, okay, I think this is our problem. And even if this generation doesn't see the, the um, immediate impact of our changes, we have to do something for our other generations to come. Maybe we can be the generation in our culture that turns the tide of this life expectancy thing and maybe we'd have more time to raise our children to invest in the lives of our grandchildren and things like that like so many other cultures have the blessing of doing. So um, as he started thinking about that, he realized he doesn't have the, the skills or the resources to do something about the water problem. It's not what he knew. But he remembered a friend of his from school that was really skilled in these areas and had a lot of experience since their time in school. And he'd been, you know, improving water filtration and all that kind of stuff. Well, anyway, to make a, a long process shorter, he reaches out to his friend and, and says, uh, could you help us bring healthier water back to our village? And he said, well, sure, I just can't, you know, I'm not going to make it there or whatever, but um, I can give you the expertise. He goes, well, actually, something you don't know about our people is that's probably a good thing. It's probably the only way to do it because... They do not trust any outsiders whatsoever. It doesn't matter if you show up with the resources to help or, the, or, or um, the, just the heart of compassion or anything. If you're from outside, they won't trust your motives. And so it would probably be best if you just feed the information through me and I'll make sure that we make those changes. Well, it was a good effort, but the reality was is he didn't have the skills to do what the buddy was telling him he had to do. When he tried taking the blueprints, when he tried taking the plans and laying it out and actually putting it into practice, he got close, but it was really going to be, uh, it wasn't going to solve the problem. It was just going to make him feel good and probably make him a hero in his village for a year or two or whatever. But it wasn't really going to fix the problem, and he had a, uh, an eye on a bigger prize. He wanted to fix the problem for generations to come. So after some time, he reached out to his friend and said, look, I don't know what we're going to do about this because... I'm telling you I need you to come do this, but I've also warned you that they won't receive your help. So what are we going to do about this? And he said, well, this is probably going to take longer than we realized, but it's probably the only way is I will try to do what I can to sort of get in under the radar a little bit. I'll make sure that I try to blend amongst the people and I'll do that kind of stuff. You'll have to teach me a lot of things about language and dialect and, and accent and all that kind of stuff and I'll change my look and I'll, I'll do what I can to see if maybe we have a better shot at just getting in there and winning them over and, and making that change. And so um, through a long process, 
those two were able to develop a plan and a strategy, and sure enough, um, it worked. They came in, they changed the water system. Um, some people received it instantly. They were excited about the prospect that things could be different. They didn't have to settle for what they had, while others still had that resistance of like, what's the end game here? I don't know where this is going. Because over time, they couldn't help but find out that this person was from away. You know, after a while, you can't keep up the charade forever. Differences in, in, in style and in, in culture and all that stuff will eventually sneak out. And so these people started figuring, okay, this guy, you know, maybe we shouldn't ask too many questions that he's helping us, but they could start to tell. And what ended up happening was this, this kind of um, rebellion or just a, a, a refusal, if you will, started rising up from within the, the tribe that said, um, look, thanks for the help, but we don't trust it. We're not going to take it. And they went on and did what they've always done. Now, you probably are making the obvious parallel of where I'm going with this, but as we come to a passage of Scripture in John chapter 1, John is one of the four gospel records that we have in the Scriptures. And for those of you that are still new to this, and maybe you've either come from a church that didn't, do, um, uh, didn't, didn't encourage you to get into the Bible for your, yourself, um, or maybe it didn't come from any church and you're just sort of new to Christianity and what people do in church and everything... Uh, the, the Bible, you know, in the Old and New Testament uh, is, is basically an entire story talking about the arrival of Jesus. The entire story is all about God's preparation for sending the Messiah who would blend in, who would, who would, uh, who would come like us. And so John is one of those accounts. John is one of the four Gospels. And in the four different gospel records, what we have are authors that walked with Jesus and lived with Jesus for his three plus years of ministry while he was on the earth. And so they all started jotting down what they were seeing. And what you'll find is you go from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Some of them will cover the same exact events, and some of them will skip over a detail here and there. There's different accounts for what's going on. It's, it's kind of similar that if you go to the football game because the, the field is big, um, you know, if you're sitting at the 50-yard line or if you're in the end zone seats, your recounting of the game is going to be vastly different based on your perspective. And so that's what the human issue was with the um, authors of the gospel accounts. But the spiritual aspect of what was going on here is that's what God wanted all along. We believe that because of the scriptures say so, we believe that God superintended the scriptures, that he wrote what he wanted to write through who he wanted to write it. And so they did. They were obedient. They wrote with their own, they saw with their own human eyes, they experienced with their own human emotions, they remember with their own human brain, but the Holy Spirit moved in and said, I'm going to make sure that this author writes down what generation after generation needs to hear about the life of Jesus and those that came before and after him. And so John is one account of that story. And the reason why I want to start with John is because it's so foundational, because it deals with the beginning, almost like the famous words of Genesis 1.1. And so in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, capital W, and the capital W Word was with God. And again, the capital W Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and, and, and the life was the capital L, light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not 
comprehend it. So John is setting this great foundation for us of understanding who we're about to be introduced to is someone that we cannot comprehend. You see that the, the capitals on, on these descriptions, these titles that he says, any time we've ever experienced anything in spoken word or in written word, whatever our language is comprised of, I mean, we have our own language here in America, which is kind of bled throughout the rest of the world, and it becomes, English becomes a, a, the operating language for so many cultures and stuff. But everywhere you go, a language system has been developed because it's how everything else gets done. It's how relationships are experienced. It's how processes are moved forward and everything. And then what sometimes lacks behind is written word, and so people will go to certain cultures to help train and teach written word and, and, and who's leading the, the forefront on that for the most part are missionaries who want to translate the scriptures for cultures who need to hear the word of God. But there's so much wrapped up in language and what John is giving this, the hint of is that whatever you think about word, whatever you think about the spoken word or the written word, you won't even comprehend how, how much the embodiment of that Jesus is. Jesus is the complete fulfillment of everything based on language. He's bigger than any language we've been able to come up with. He's bigger than any language we've been able to develop a letter system for and gr grammatical structure and all those sorts of things. He is the capital W word. He says he is the light that shines in darkness. Any glimmer of light that we've had, any, any spark that we've ever seen, or any full-on raging um, uh, brilliant light in all the megawatts that we can provide, humanly speaking, he is bigger and broader than all of that. And John wants to start his, his sharing of Jesus' story with these concepts. And even later on in this account, in John chapter 14, Jesus even says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. So Jesus is saying, whatever you comprehend about those categories, I am all of it. And so John wants to get us started down this process of understanding who came to us that we celebrate in the Christmas season. Who came to us is someone we can't comprehend, we can't contain, we can't package, we can't, because we only get glimpses of all that he is. Verse 6 says, There came a man sent from God whose name was John. I love this phrase. He came as a witness. He came to testify about the capital L light so that all might believe in him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. If you study the life of John the Baptist, from the womb, from his mother's womb, John's entire life was wrapped up in proclaiming the fact that the light of men had arrived. The word of God was here. That he was the one ushering in the presence of the Messiah. Everything. If you want a single focus, sometimes wouldn't we like that? You know, you just get to show up, do your job, kind of be dialed in on it and do nothing else. John had that for his entire life. Your job is to proclaim the arrival of the Messiah and he was ready for it. But he wasn't the true light, the scriptures says. In verse 9, there, were, there was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. We know that he was in the beginning. He created it all with the spoken word. And yet, we could say that we could add the word yet, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and yet, we could add, those who were his own did not receive him. 
But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory. Glory is the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. How is it possible that something so powerful, so brilliant can arrive and it's not received? How is it fair, even if we say from an injustice standpoint, that those, the one who created everybody that he did wouldn't even receive him? They didn't recognize him. They didn't see him. They didn't take him into themselves as he arrives on the scene because he was offensive to them. How is that even possible? And yet that's what the scriptures are saying. Now, the, the Bible does say some did receive him and to those he gave the power, he gave the right to be the sons of God. But there were so many that didn't receive him. And now that he's been gone and his, and his, uh, his movement still uh, takes place and we still follow his call and we still worship him thousands of years later, there are still those who will not receive him. I was, um, I was thinking about this this morning as I was... Uh, um, stumbling around in the darkness in my house because I leave before everybody else gets up and stuff like that. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, I put those things over there. I'm reaching for this and I'm, you know, and everything. And, and, and uh, I'm going to hit the first light that I need on in the house. And if you think about this, you can relate to this. If you really just kind of slow down your reaction and, and fragment it out to like a millisecond, the thing I'm looking for on the wall is going to provide what I need. I'm going to reach for this light switch that I know right where it is. It's kind of like muscle memory. My hand goes right to it. And as I find that switch, I flip the light on, but something internally in me happens as I receive the thing that I asked for. The thing that I, I couldn't wait for it to show up because I was kind of living in danger. If I was going to be overly dramatic about it, um, I wasn't finding my way. There was something I needed from it. And so when I hit the switch, what does my face do? Because yours does it too. Right, And there's this, uh, you may not believe it, but think about it the next time. There's this millisecond of anger or resistance. I, I know it's resistance, but it feels like the same emotion that wells up. Like, oh, come on, are you serious? Why would you do that to me? We want to just say, hey, couldn't we have a softer glow? Couldn't we just have something a little more subtle? I know what you're thinking, like put little night lights around and stuff like that. You all have a solution for me, but just go with me in the illustration here for a second. And there is this resistance that happens when the light comes, even though it's the light I needed, and even if it's the light I asked for. And perhaps a lot of the resistance that we see, now there's going to be a lot of people who fall on different sides of the debate, whether or not the Lord infuses that light in somebody before they can receive and all that stuff. But let's just think about this from a human context as we walk around in this bag of bones called our flesh. Is that we need the presence of that light to show up in our lives. Mankind since the beginning, since the fall, has needed that light to come, but every time that light has come in its full brilliance, and it's come shining what it needs, we resist it. And we have that immediate anger that either lasts for a millisecond or it lasts the rest of our lives. Who asked you to shine this brightly on my life? And yet, you and I are going to be walking into scenarios with family and friends in the next four, three or four weeks or so. We're going to be around a lot of situations where people are going to kind of say, 
probably inside, you know, I kind of, I think I need the light that my sister over here has or my brother over here has or my cousin has over here or something. But man, every time that light bulb goes on, there's just something I resist, something I can't receive. You think about what's going on. The capital W word, the capital L light of men is living inside of you if you have surrendered your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ and you've asked him to come into your life and to save you. You've you've asked his light to move into your life. That light is so brilliant, it can't be snuffed, it can't be reduced, it can't be any of those things because it is who he is. It is who Jesus is. He is the light. And yet you and I, because we have ingested that light in kind of a human way, we make that light maybe a little bit more palatable to receive or to see, but it's still a brilliant glow. There's still going to be that resistance. I look at it kind of like this image here. I want to just put this image of, of something that's happening on the, on the wall, uh, not the light, but this thing here. Can you tell what that is? This little frog found some Christmas lights or something. And because we make those lights so tasty looking in color, the frog was like, yeah, it looks good. So he takes in the ball, but the glow can't be hidden. Yeah, see? See, that child just got it. And some of you are still like, I don't know where he's going with this. So obviously, right, there were no frogs hurt in the uh, filming of that photograph. So um, to all children in the room, that frog was properly released gently from it, I'm sure. Uh, Though Google didn't tell me that. But anyway, so we have this light inside of us that is going to be exposed to the people that we're around this year. Um, My encouragement to you, because we've got to wrap this up, my encouragement is to believe in a couple of things. One, that that light is present and it's there for a reason. And it cannot be hid. Even if you're trying, it can't be hid if the light is really present. He will not be diminished or contained. He is the capital letter of all the things that we've experienced. He is the capital letter for word. He is the light. He is the life. He is the way. He's the truth. He's all of those things. He will not be diminished. And because he's intended to take up residence in you, that light will shine. So believe that first and foremost and go into this holiday season with some confidence that, okay, it's there because it's supposed to be. And and also the second piece of that is don't take ownership of the light as though somehow this is your light to project. Jesus is the one living in you. He always was, never had any beginning. All we need to do is to kind of, in a sense, surrender to the glow that's happening and say, okay, Lord, in whatever way you want to shine through in my life, I am your vessel. And that's where it gets a little tougher. Ooh, I almost said to swallow. That was a bad pun. The wrong time. You think about all we just sang, right? Lord, you're in control. We want to trust you. We're going to step out on faith and all that sort of stuff. Did we mean it? If that glow wants to shine in the places that you go, you have to be bold enough to let it happen. I'll give you a very practical example of this. If you're having people over your house for Thanksgiving and you're going to be a little sheepish to pray before your Thanksgiving meal, guess what? You're the host. Let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. That's just really where we live, isn't it? 
we have this intention, we get fired up in church, and then we go home, and then there's other eyeballs looking at us, and we're like, well, we come up with excuses. I don't want to be offensive. I don't want to cram it down their throat. I don't want to be... If the light is in you to glow, let it glow. But at the same time, the counterbalance is to that, if you're being a guest of somebody else's house, you might respectfully, quietly to the host of the home, would you like an opening prayer? Would you like me to do something like that? You don't sit there just before people throw the squash in their mouth, hold it! I want us to come before the presence of the Lord and be thankful for the bountiful blessings that he has bestowed upon us. Because that's you trying to own that light, to try to force that wattage on other people instead of letting it glow the way God intended to in your life in appropriate ways. There's a lot of different things we're going to run into. Christmas parties at the office, though you probably can't call it a Christmas party, so we get that. There's all those kinds of things. This time of year brings up all of these opportunities. The point is, the light is in you to glow. Let it shine. But don't uh, force it on the people that aren't necessarily ready to receive it unless the Lord has said, okay, this is the tactful way to do that. This is how you live out your faith. Because then, in reality, that's just you letting the glow come through anyway. All right, let's take a moment here to close our time in prayer. God, we thank you, Lord, for um, what you've accomplished in our midst this morning. We thank you for giving us uh, this place that we can come and gather, be around each other. We're encouraged when we see others coming out and, um, and feeding our souls and our minds with your truth. I pray, Lord, that those that are here that um, have been on the verge about whether or not to take in your light, to really swallow uh, what you are offering to them, Lord, I pray that you would just get them off the fence. Help them to realize the pride that gets between our surrender and your grace. Lord, we just ask you, Father, to do miracles this Christmas season, but not just the miracles that we would all recognize as something hugely mysterious. Those things are great, and we ask you for those too, Lord, because they do prove that you are here and that you're alive. But Lord, we also ask for the types of miracles that maybe we're the only ones that would notice. Maybe we react differently to hurts or frustrations. Maybe we um, embolden ourselves or at least rely stronger on the presence of the Holy Spirit to say the thing that maybe in Christmas's past we would never say. So Lord, in those little moments too, help us to recognize the miracles that you're working in each of our lives. We thank you for your hand. On this body of believers, we thank you, Lord, for your hand on other bodies of believers around our city. We pray, Lord, that you would bless them in their efforts to reach this lost and dying world. And may we join in that fight and always be available to do what you call us to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you, folks. You are dismissed.